Hey everyone, welcome to a really special AE Live tonight. Now, normally we have a chance to talk to those in aviation and space, and we talk about what they're working on, things that they've done recently. We don't very often get a chance to speak to somebody who's really a giant um, in, in aerospace, and that's what we have tonight. Um, in Civil Air Patrol, we are doing a special program called the High Altitude Balloon Challenge, and there is nobody better out there to be an ambassador for this program than Colonel Joe Kittinger. Now, Colonel Kittinger, or we are now going to call Colonel Joe, um, he is the first person, he held the record for the highest altitude that anybody was at for 52 years in a balloon. Um, he was responsible for many of the tests that uh, were, were done prior to individuals, um, you know, going into the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo space programs. Um, he was the very first person to see the curvature of the Earth. So a lot of people would argue that, you know, we say uh, Yuri Gagarin, um, you know, and then Neil Armstrong. Well, they had to stand on the shoulders of Colonel Joe in order to get to where they got to. Um, and so we're going to be doing instead of Civil Air Patrol is we're actually doing a high altitude balloon challenge where individuals will be able to do experiments in little 40 milliliter bottles. Uh, I'm sorry, it has to be 40 grams. Um, 50 milliliter bottles, I think is what they are. And they will um, send them in and we're gonna be launching them on, on balloons that will go hopefully to 100,000 feet. It's a very exciting uh, program here in Civil Air Patrol. So for that, we have two uh, guest hosts today. We have Jason Krager, um, who is the CEO and president of Stratostar. Uh, is a company that's focused on education, uh, STEM activities, and high altitude STEM activities specifically. And of course, we have Colonel Joe. With that, let's go say hi to them. Gentlemen. Hey, everyone. It is so wow. great to see you. And Jason, nice to have you here. Colonel Joe, incredible to have you here, sir. Um, like we said before, we are very excited. This is actually not just our normal AE Live because we are actually using this as a kickoff for a Civil Air Patrol event called the High Altitude Balloon Challenge. And so we want to do is um, Jason from Stratostar, which uh, is a company that really focuses in on working with educational providers, schools, places like Civil Air Patrol. Um, he really focuses on these high altitude balloon um, science STEM experiments. And so with that, Jason, why don't you give us a little bit of background on what the high altitude balloon challenge is sure well hey thanks bob for setting this up and uh you know thank you to all the civil air patrol headquarters and everyone who's being involved in this project uh it's just an honor to engage students in some aerospace and uh it's a real honor to be here with colonel joe uh you know i i've first googled uh you know high altitude ballooning and a picture of you jumping out of a balloon at the edge of space was there on google and uh, i never you know i didn't know who it was and it's incredible to to get to meet you and uh kind of talk about this challenge and inspire the youth well jason it's uh, nice talking with you all right let me let me give everyone here uh kind of an overview of the uh, CAP High Altitude Balloon Challenge. And uh, what we are doing is we have uh, squadrons across the United States, Puerto Rico, Hawaii, all over, uh, that are going to be participating to build science and engineering projects 
that they will launch to the edge of space and conduct some cutting edge research, just like Colonel Joe did. And we're going to ask him a few questions. He was actually the first man in space. We did not know as human beings what would happen if, if we went beyond our atmosphere. And uh, a lot of his research and his work was uh, – to, to understand how the human body and the systems that we would need in order to, to become a spacefaring uh, species. And so what we have is we have a little bit smaller capsule than Joe flew up on in these boxes here, okay? And these are uh, what the students will and, and youth will be putting projects in, okay? They're 50 uh, milliliter capsules. We're gonna have 40 grams. And the students will put a project together and we're going to have these sent to Indiana. We're going to fly these live online and there's going to be a control, which will stay on the ground on earth. And then we're going to send the other one to space and expose it to one of the harshest environments that we have access to almost a full vacuum, just like outer space, incredibly high radiation uh, temperatures below minus 40, 50, 60 degrees Celsius and uh, kind of understand what happens to your materials. And uh, Colonel Joe here, he actually lived through it, jumped through it, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about that experience and, and how he went about the science and the engineering process to help us build into what became NASA and the space program in order to get us to the moon and, and even beyond. So, uh, you know... I'm just really excited to be here and be a part of this project. Hey, Colonel Joe, let me start off with a question for you. And, you know, so a lot of times when I talk to pilots and, and different people that in aerospace, I always like to hear, you know, we, you know, I always like to hear the, the pre-story, right? Um, and, and that is the story of how somebody got started. And, you know, we always talk about, you know, um, the future being, you know, standing on the shoulders of, of uh, the giants that came before us, right? And so you are one of the giants in aerospace, whether you want to admit it to yourself or not, uh, if you're humble, but you are absolutely, you were the first person um, to see the curvature of the earth with your own eyes. I'm very sorry for those folks that are flat, flat earth believers. <laughs> All right. Joe has seen the, the curvature of the earth. Um, so you got to fight Joe for that if, if you want, want to. But, um, but, you know, so you are one of the giants, right? So when you were younger, who were the giants that you stood on? Who were the people that you looked to for inspiration? Well, there were two. Uh, one, of course, was Lindbergh. And the second was Jimmy Doodle. Uh, Jimmy Doodle, because he was a fighter pilot and a great leader in Lindbergh for his fantastic flight across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, they were they were my heroes back when I was growing up. Now, now Lindbergh specifically, so, so you were the first person um, to make a solo crossing. In the, so we always talk about the high altitude balloon, right? But this is a low altitude balloon. So you were the first person to make a solo crossing of the Atlantic Ocean in a gas balloon. So um, was that was that inspired by Lindbergh's crossing? Well, yes. Uh, the work I did in the Air Force was for research, uh, for space and the future. Uh, when I flew the Atlantic, that was just for an adventure. That was just to <laughs> hopefully get a sponsor to fly around the world solo. Uh, and uh, Lindbergh took 33 hours to fly the Atlantic. It took me 86 hours 
because I didn't have a propeller. All I had was a wind propelling me where I was to Italy. Uh, but uh, the, the flight across the Atlantic was just a great adventure. Uh, no science associated with it, just a, a challenge that I, I wanted to duplicate and hopefully get a sponsor for a around-the-world flight. I failed to get the sponsor for around-the-world flight, but I had a lot of fun flying across the Atlantic. I love how when some people want to go on on a weekend adventure, they go to Disney World, they go to the Grand Canyons. No, not not for Colonel Joe. Colonel Joe is going to jump into a, a gas balloon and fly across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, you know, if anybody wants to understand Colonel Joe's mindset, I think that says everything right there. Um, now, 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 Colonel Joe, with um, you know, going into the future, right? So, th- so that's looking in the past, but looking in the future, we have. I really do believe this. I, I think the the next front, the next major thing is somebody is a, a human being is going to step foot on Mars, right? And I think that that's going to happen within the next twenty to ten to twenty years. So the kids that are, I say kids, youth, are cadets and the youth that are in school today um, that are probably watching this, they very may well be the person who is the first person to put their foot on another planet for the first time in in human history. And so, so as you being an explorer, what would you say to them as motivation to, to, to help them achieve that dream? Well, let's go back to when I was growing up. Uh, I, I learned a good lesson on, on setting goals. Uh, when, when I was, before I was 10 years old, I knew I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And that was my goal was to be a fighter pilot. And I worked toward that goal. I never never took my eyes off that goal. I never was diverted from it. And I think it's a lesson for the youth of today, and that is to set goals and work hard for it. Dedicate yourself to those goals. And the, the future people that walk on the planet will have to set a goal because they're going to be an outstanding individual like Armstrong was. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they have a, a, a real challenge in front of them uh, to get on a program as, as fantastic as that. Uh, stand on the planet for the first time. You know, the, the greatest thing that's happened in our lifetime was Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. I mean, that we'll never forget that, that the sight of him, the first human being to work on the moon. Uh, that was a, a, an epic accomplishment. And going to Mars is going to be the next epic accomplishment of, of mankind because it's a very, it's a great challenge. There's, there's a lot of hazards, a lot of problems that have to be solved before we, we were able to accomplish that, that great task. Now, anybody who is going to accomplish something of that nature, there's really two parts to this, I guess. One is you have to be part of a team. Um, there's, there's nobody anymore. It is not like the Wright Brothers where you could take one, two, three people. I mean, it is a team of hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people um, to accomplish these goals. So what, so what, what is, what has been your experience with the teams that you worked with both, um, you know, back when you did your first balloon flights, as well as the teams you've worked with relatively recently um, as the Red Bull uh, Stratus uh, team, um, you know, went to try to get even uh, higher than you went. Um, and, and I think it was what, 52 years you held that record. Yes. 52 years. I mean, that's incredible. Right. So, um, so what, what's, what is, what is your comments about the types of teams and how to work with teams and the importance of teams? Well, team, a teamwork is absolutely a necessity and you have to be able to work with a team. Uh, I was so fortunate because I had a, a great team of people that were working 
to the same goal that I was working for is get me up there and accomplish the research. But it does take a team, man. You have to be able to work with a team. You, you set goals and you work together toward that goal. No one can accomplish such a task as that uh, without a, a dedicated team uh, working in, in your behalf and in their behalf too, because they're setting goals to accomplish. So teamwork is, is vitally important and being able to work with a team is vitally important. Now, what now, um, you know, in CAP, we focus a lot on leadership and followership, right? So we really focus a lot on, on that teaming aspect. Sometimes you're going to be the lead of something and sometimes you're going to be part of the team, um, you know, that's helping to drive it forward. So, so the other thing I think it's super important, especially when you talk about a program like what you did, um, and, and, you know, then going into the future, um, and any type of major program, you have to be able to deal with setbacks as well. Not everything works perfectly the first time. I know in aerospace, um, you know, recently the, the, the youth, like we were, we were enjoying watching SpaceX and all the, all of their starships exploding when they try to land them, but then all of a sudden they land them and it's amazing. So, um, so for the cadets that are out there or anybody listening to this, you know, what's your recommendations for how to deal with failure in, in pursuing your dreams? Well, we had a book on, on both of our projects called the what if book. And we constantly went updated that what if book. And we would sit around and we would think, what if this happens? What if this happens? And every contingency that we could think of, we put in this book and what we were going to do to, to accomplish the, the solution to the problem. Uh, we had that on my programs. We had that on Stratus programs. And it's, it's vital that you the team gets together and discuss the, the bad scenarios, the things that could happen that could influence the mission and what you would do. But there's always an unknown. There's always that unknown quantity that you hadn't thought about. So you have to be able to uh, make it up as you go along. So, mm -hmm. But it takes teamwork. It takes thinking in advance of, of the problems and challenges and having a, a plan of what you're going to do if, if this contingency happens. Yeah, and, and understand, I think it's super important, right? Because, um, you know, an analogy might be somebody playing the piano. People might go to a concert and they see somebody playing a musical instrument and they're like, wow, they're so good but they don't realize the, the tens of thousands of hours that they took to get to that point. I think a lot of times people see that with, you know, the astronauts, people like yourself, um, people, you know, pilots, right? They see them go up there and they, they, they see them zooming around the skies doing aerobatics, but they don't realize is that they've given them chance. One, they've, they've allowed themselves to be bad at something in order to get good at it. And two, they've spent countless hours thinking about the what ifs, like you said, um, you know, and so that's just something that doesn't get that much of, um, you know, a story told. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, Jason, I know you, you, you are a huge Colonel Joe fan. I don't want to take all of the time here. So I'm going to turn this over to you. I know you've got some stuff you're dying to talk to Colonel Joe about. So let me hand it over to you. Oh, thanks, Bob. So, Joe, you know, one of the biggest questions that I have for you is, uh, you know, you're one of the only people that there's very few people that have ever been to what we call the edge of space, you know, 100,000 feet uh, to, you know, 130, 40,000 feet. Uh, and, you know, we have video cameras these days, but you got to see this thing for the first time with your own eyes. Can you explain the experience of being up there on uh, that first balloon flight and what you saw? Well, first of all, the 100,000 foot was the third flight. There were two flights before that, developing the techniques and the checklist and the, 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 the teamwork we needed for me to go to 100,000 feet. 
And by the way, a hundred thousand foot atmosphere is the same as Mars, five wow. millibars. It's 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 an almost complete space. So it requires unique protection for a man and a, or a woman in a, pressure, in a pressure suit or a pressure device in order to live. Um, when I got up there at 100,000 feet, I, I knew that I was in an area that nobody had ever been before. I knew it was very hostile. Uh, I'd been up in altitude chambers to 110,000 feet, but uh, it, it's very hostile to man. Space is. It, you have to have pressure. You know, around us, 14.4 PSI pressure around our bodies all the time. We have pressure that they keep us human beings. Well, in space, you have to have that provided by a pressure suit or a pressure device. So I, I knew it was it was a hostile environment, but I had confidence in the equipment myself and my team, and that's what it takes. Um, I, I had a, a very extensive checklist that I was constantly going through, checking my equipment, checking my pressure suit, checking uh, the equipment that I had. Uh, and uh, when I got up there, I, it was, I was, I spent 11 minutes, by the way, at, at altitude as I wow. drifted slowly over the, the jump point. So I had 11 minutes of, of introspection as I was uh, up there at the, the balcony into space. And uh, I looked out and it, 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 it looks, it looks normal, except you know, the, the horizon is just away and above you, it's absolute black. And it's it's take it was an interesting experience to sit there and, and see the the heavens above me that being black or used to seeing blue all the time, uh, and I I just sat there and, and and contemplated you know the environment that I was in. I, I knew it was hostile. Uh, I had complete, but I, I my whole life depended completely on the pressure devices that were surrounding me. But once again, because of the training that I had and the, the, the preliminary uh, events that I went through for a year and a half prepared me for that and it takes that it takes it takes confidence in your equipment your team and yourself um it was a, a unique experience and uh i i said on the radio i said that this is a, it's a beautiful sight but it's hostile space is hostile to man and i i felt that it was hostile but uh i had confidence i was gonna be all right uh, when it came time to go, I was ready to go. Uh, I went through my checklist, which was 46 different items I had to do before I jumped out. And uh, I stood on the, on the uh, step and I said, Lord, take care of me now. And I, I, yep. I was thinking about my team on the ground that they were sitting there with me, uh, hoping that I would get back safely to ground. And then I had no hesitation. I had, I had no real concern. Uh, and I jumped because that was the next step. That's what I was there for was to jump. And uh, the next four and a half minutes, I went from 102,000 feet down to uh, 10,000 feet. Wow. And I reached a speed of 614 miles an hour because it was a vacuum. It's a complete vacuum up there. It was five millibars of pressure. But uh, it was a, a fantastic experience. But it was made possible by the great team that I had. Without that team, I, I could have never accomplished what I, what I did. And uh, it's, it's vital to have a good team. It's vital to have uh, preparation and testing and training uh, to prepare you for such a, an event like this. Uh, I was, I felt I was so fortunate. I was a project director and I was, a, and I was a subject, but I was so fortunate that I was in the right place at the right time with a great team of people. And uh, we accomplished something that uh, we'll never forget. 
the ejection systems that we use today and every Air Force in the, in the world uses a, a drogue system for high altitude ejection. And that's what we designed back in 1959, 1960. So what we did back then is still being used today. So that makes us very proud of that. Wow. We contributed to the safety of pilots still today. And of course, we, I was the first man in space in an actual environment. And that, of course, was from then on, the astronauts got out of the spacecraft. And, uh, of course, this was before space started. This right. was 1959, 1960. Uh, space was something that people never thought we'd ever uh, go to. So, But we, were, we knew we had research we needed to do, and we accomplished that research. And we, we showed that man could survive in a space environment uh, with the right equipment and the right training and the right team. So I, I, Jason, I've got awesome. a quick question, if you don't mind. So, sure. so Carl, Joe, you mentioned, you know, you were in the right place at the, the right time. And I totally get that. Um, I, I also, I, th I also think it's a very humble, humbling way of saying, you know, that, I mean, you put yourself in the right place at the right time, right? So you weren't walking down the street in the middle of New York Fifth Avenue and a, a black car didn't roll up to you and say, hey, we're going to grab this guy because he looks like he's crazy enough to jump out of a balloon at 100,000 feet, right? You put, they put, they put, you put yourself um, in the right place at the right time. And then, of course, there is luck, right? Because there, there, for every Joe, Colonel Joe, right, there's, there's 100 people that are doing the right things that they don't get picked. Um, you know, so the, there's sure there is some luck there, but you, you did a lot of work to put yourself. Now you had mentioned that, you know, you had this goal when you were growing up, right. Um, of being a fighter pilot, right. And, and you did, and, and we'll, we might talk about that in a little bit, but, um, what specifically, how did you get involved in ballooning? Um, you know, we talked about aviation, but how about ballooning? How did you put yourself into that spot? Well, I was a test pilot at Holloway Air Force Base. And the Aeromed lab had a program that they were looking for a volunteer. And uh, the squadron commander got all, all the test pilots together in a room. And he said, uh, gentlemen, uh, we have Dr. Stapp in the, over in the north area has a program coming up. And we need a test pilot for it. They're going to do work on zero gravity. And uh, there was a Twitter in the, in the room. And uh, he said, OK, I'd like to have a volunteer. And I put my hand up immediately. <laughs> and uh, I looked around. I was the only one that put his hand up. Uh, so I, I volunteered, uh, and I, I became involved in the zero gravity program. We did the first zero gravity uh, long term exposure uh, because that was one of the the questions we had back in nineteen fifty nine nineteen sixty was could man uh, put up with zero gravity? And a lot of people said no. That's a limiting factor. They can't. They get nauseous and so forth. Well, we, our program was to find out, could, could man really survive in a zero-gravity situation? It's kind of a basic thing, but back in those days, we didn't know the answer to that. Well, as a result of our zero-gravity flights, uh, we, we determined that uh, a man could uh, adjust to that and uh, no problem. We, 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 we published papers that said that zero-gravity is not a problem for safe flight. So one of the problems that we had off the bat was looking at space. Um, and as a result of that program, I then found out about a program starting up to take a man up to in a pressurized capsule, which was man high. And mm -hmm. as soon as I found out about it, I immediately volunteered and, uh, was selected to be the test pilot for the first flight. And that got me involved in, in the space and, and, and problems associated with space. And 
when I got to Wright Field from Heilman, uh, I started studying the, the problems of escape from high altitude and found out that we had that never done really research at high altitudes. And we were up there, you know, 100,000 feet at rocket ships at that time, the uh, X-15, the mm -hmm. uh, X-1, X-2. Uh, so we were going there briefly in, in rocket ships. Uh, but uh, so I was up there for the MANI program and, and looking at these problems associated with space. And one day I went to my chief, Dr. Stepp, and I said, Dr. Stepp, I've, I've looked at this challenge of space and escape, and we've never done a research program on getting the man back from high altitudes. And I said, I'd like to do it. And he knew that uh, that we were going to be going to space and that escape was going to be a problem. And that in the regular Air Force, space was a problem for high altitude escape. So he said, okay, it's your project. So once again, I, I worked toward that goal. And uh, that was the beginning of getting me involved. My ballooning started when I was training for the Manhattan program. Mm. I actually checked out in hot air balloons and, and flew helium balloons as part of my training. So that's how I got involved back in 1956 uh, in ballooning. And uh, I use that vehicle for how to today, um, Jason, uh, we're going to go up in a, in a, in a helium-filled balloon Yes, uh, to 100,000 feet or so, above 90,000 feet anyway. And so uh, today, and here, here it is, 2021, we're using the man's oldest aerial vehicles for high-altitude research. And it's a practical, cheap, economic way to get research still today in, in 2021. So uh, balloons have always had a, an interesting fascination for me. And I was very fortunate to... Uh, to fly uh, balloons for many, many years in the Air Force and research. And then, of course, after that, uh, in a sports uh, event. Uh, I have well, 2,000 hours in balloons. Wow. 16,800 hours in aircraft. So I spent wow. a lot of my time in, in, in airplanes and, and balloons. Well, Colonel Joe, you know, you went up in the Man High Project and, you know, you were in the tin can. Uh, you know, we like to say in the capsule, but, uh, in order to do that, you had to have faith and in, in, in engineering and science and your team in order to get to that point. And, uh, can you tell me a little bit about the process of, um, getting ready, actually flying the capsule? I know there was some, uh, you know, different Guinea pigs and things. You made a, a Colonel Joe out of, uh, different kinds of animals in order to test your life support systems. Can you tell me a little bit about the science and engineering that went in before you actually went out? Well, uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned about the uh, guinea pigs. Uh, we, the capsule, by the way, was three feet across and seven feet high. It, it was very wow. tight because we knew that when we go into space, it was going to be in very small capsules, gondolas, uh, so we, we didn't want something spacious. We wanted to, to duplicate what we were going to be facing during the initial flight, space flights. Um, in order to taste, test this, uh, we needed a, a, some biological beings to test the oxygen consumption, CO2 emission, uh, temperature control. So we took eight guinea pigs and put emulsion plates on their head, and we had 300 black mice and the, the equivalent of those 300 black mice and the eight guinea pigs was a man. It was a man equivalent uh, in the capsule. And we sent it up to altitude. And uh, 
and and determined that we had a system that would protect a man in, in a space environment. So there was a lot of testing associated with this uh, before I went up. And uh, now, I've heard, you know, you, you talked about the emulsion plate. And I know that one of the big issues that we really had no idea as human beings was what is the radiation level at high altitude? Uh, I know William Hess or, or, or Hess got a Nobel Prize um, going up in a hot air balloon I, or, or a gas balloon, but we had no idea. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the hesitation and the worry that we had uh, about radiation and how those guinea pigs with those plates helped you understand what was going on? And one, well, one, one quick thing, I apologize. Guinea pig. One, one quick thing, I'm sorry. Um, also for the youth that, sorry for interrupting, just for the youth that aren't, don't know what this is, uh, maybe also if you can explain what an emulsion plate is. Well, it's it's a it's a film. It's it's a a basis of a film, uh, like taking an undeveloped film up on your head, and the cosmic radiation would come into that, and we could track the the angle that the angle of, of penetration, and it went into the brain of the guinea pig, so we knew where it was coming from, where it entered, and where it went into the brain of the guinea pig, and we we did research on determining that. They, they survived, and uh, we had guinea pigs on the ground, eight guinea pigs on the ground that had emulsion plates on their head that were the controls. So we had the controls yes. on the ground. We had the, the plates up at uh, 100,000 feet. Uh, but uh, it was, uh, it was a, one of the questions that we had. And, of course, let me tell you what, going to Mars, radiation is going to be one of the significant challenges because mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's intense. In, in a space environment like going to Mars. So it's going to take a year of, of, of travel to get there. And there's going to be an awful lot of exposure to, to radiation um, that could be potentially uh, dangerous. So that's that's one of the questions we're going to have to answer on going to Mars is how do we uh, combat the radiation that is, is in a space environment, particularly for a year. Right? That's a long period of time just to get there. And then they'll be on Mars for over a year and then they have to wait a year uh, until they get the trajectory back to Earth, and then another year. So it's going to be a three or four year experiment, uh, constantly bombarded by cosmic radiation. So it's one of the big questions that we'll have uh, for the future. But to go back to the Manhattan program, uh, the only thing we didn't do, which we should have done, well, we didn't do it because we didn't have enough money. It was a very low budget program. <laughs> should have run the capsule in an altitude chamber uh, mm -hmm. to check the oxygen regulator and so forth and all the equipment, but we didn't have the money to do it. So we went without doing that. <laughs> well, as I went aloft, I found out that I was trying to pressurize the outside atmosphere and with five liter liquid oxygen, that wouldn't happen. So I, I had a real <laughs> problem that could have been detected in the allergy chamber if we if we'd done it. And uh, I had to go to emergency systems to, uh, conserve the oxygen that I had, but uh, it was just one of the challenges that we had because we didn't have the money to test properly. After my flight, then we did altitude chamber test for the next flight, uh, and we, we determined that it was safe, and it was. But I had a, I encountered a problem uh, on that first flight, a man high, because of uh, a, a valve was put in backwards, and oh. uh, I had to I faced a problem, but we had a what if, if this happens, if you had a leak in the capsule, what would you do? And uh, I used that technique, and I got down safely uh, by using a what-if 
solution for a problem that we had anticipated. Um, the MANAP program was really the first uh, man in space program. And uh, there were two other flights after that that were significant. And uh, so once again, the, the balloon was used for uh, conducting basic research that we needed for the space program. You know, one thing you said, I think it's really cool too. And, and you know, the folks that are taking part of this program, um, you will notice, and, and Jason had mentioned it earlier, um, see if this comes up right. I forget I'm backwards here, but um, you know, you, you're getting two of these. Um, and, and what Colonel Joe said there for having the control, you had the emotion plate going up with the pigs. Um, and then you had a control on the ground. That's why you're getting two of these these kits because one of these is going to stay on the ground in, in when you send up your your mission you know your mission is going to go in here well you're, you're probably going to want to compare it to what's on the ground in here um and so that's why you're getting two you're not just getting one that's going up it's so you can have that control you know joe something else you said too that i thought was really interesting um you said it earlier today and that was you know the atmosphere of mars is very similar to the atmosphere that you got at 100,000 feet. I wonder if we're going to see a lot more testing um, using balloons at that 100,000 feet, um, or if we've just gotten so good with pressure containers that um, you know we can we can test them there, or if you know for radiation and all the other things, if we will actually see more high altitude ballooning for testing. What do you think? Uh, it's possible. It's very possible. It, it, it's, it's an economic way to do research uh, because that costs very much to put up a, a balloon full of helium. But uh, I, I would say it's a possibility they would they would use balloons in the future for the Mars program. Uh, but uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot of challenges. Yeah, so for um, so for those of you that are going to be taking part of this program, um, or you know, even if you're not a part of CAP, maybe it's something that you want to talk to your school about. Maybe they want to take part as a school. I guess I'll do a shameless plug for Jason's company, um, but um, which I'm sure he's not going to turn down. But <laughs> but you know, if you guys want to get part of this, you may want to look at this as two things, right? We're calling it the High Altitude Balloon Challenge, but if you're in your school, you may want to actually call this the Mars Challenge. Because you know the, the, where this where this is um, going to be going high altitude, while it's not the same as being on Mars, right? There's there's different properties of being on Mars, but there are some things that are very very similar to being on Mars. So um, it's very possible that you could work on a, a scientific experiment that might you know be something that could be of value to the people that are going to go to Mars in you know 10, 15 years. So um, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is think big, think big about this stuff. Um, you know, don't just think, well, I'm going to throw in, you know, something and be really quick about it. Really take your time, um, and really think through what, what could you do that would be awesome, um, that, you know, could really try to push the knowledge of either yourself, your school, or even the program in general, who knows, maybe you're going to be the next person, um, you know, who gets a Nobel peace, Nobel, uh, you know, prize in physics for something that, uh, you know, started off with your mind thinking about this. So, um, anyways, I just wanted to say that real quick, Joe, cause you had mentioned about, um, the atmosphere oh. being similar. I'm sorry, Jason. And, uh, Colonel Joe, you know, we, we talked a little bit uh, before the meeting here, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that you're our ambassador for this uh, project, and you actually wanted to help encourage this next generation 
And so you wanted to, uh, you know, put something forth. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what it means, you know, for these students to work on these, you know, science related issues and engineering? Well, the next generation of scientists are the kids of today. And anything that I can do to encourage children and kids, young youth that are going through high school and elementary school and, and college is to motivate them to think about working with a team, to set goals, uh, because the, the, the scientists of tomorrow are in the schools today. Mm. And they, they need to start early on establishing goals and the discipline required for research. And uh, this is a great program. I, I think that uh, it'll show the, 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 the benefits of a teamwork toward an objective, a research objective, a scientific objective in a space environment. And I think it's, it's a wonderful program. And I'm delighted to be a part of it. And I think that our country will benefit from it. And because our future leaders are the, are the kids that are in school today. So what do you think we could do to motivate those, those kids, that next generation, to establish goals, discipline, a teamwork that it takes to accomplish something that's never been done before? And uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a lesson in life that I think that I'm very proud to be a part of and very proud of the CAP. And I'm, I have a CAP squadron in Alston, Texas, is named after me, which was a great honor. Uh, I've always been a, a, an admirer of the CAP and what they represent and what they do for our nation. And uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be a part of it. Well, what, you know, inspired by uh, some of your work in the past, winning the uh, Gordon Bennett Cup, um, you know, we had talked about putting forth to all the squadrons being involved here, the Colonel Kittinger Cup uh, that would go to the team now it's a panel that we'll look it over and hopefully Colonel Joe, you'll be on that panel. Uh, the most innovative science engineering, uh, you know, the team that puts the work into this and follows through with the final reports, because you can do, you know, you can jump, but if you don't write it down and send it out, it doesn't count. Uh, and so we uh, are honored that you would put your name as our ambassador with the cup. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that means and, and uh, you know, your thoughts on ha having your name a part of this uh, challenge? Well, it's, it's competition. It's competition between all of the CAP squadrons around the country and Hawaii and, uh, and Puerto Rico. And uh, so what I've done is I have put up an honorarium and the team that comes up with the best scientific experiment is I'm going to give them $5,000 wow. for the team. So wow. it's, it's, it's a cup plus $5,000 for use of the, of the institution that, that comes up with the best experiment. Wow. Joe, that's incredible. Uh, I'll be right back. I have to go work with my squadron and start working on our project now. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Joe, uh, you know, your, your, your work, uh, test pilot, man high, Excelsior, uh, Red Bull, you know, all of these different things. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to make a highlight clip of some of your work over the years. And we're going to show these students and, uh, you know, to to have a challenge that has, uh, you know, the cup and the honorarium is incredible. And uh, to follow through with science. And, you know, this is outside the classroom, just like you did. This is real world, unknown factors. We're going to the edge of space. And to be honest, um, we don't know a ton still about the edge of space, where the balloons fly. 
it, you know, the rockets go right through it. Satellites fly above it. Airplanes have a really hard time flying uh, in there. And so the only thing that can float up there is a balloon. And uh, just like we talked about earlier, this is a Martian type atmosphere, uh, almost zero pressure, uh, full radiation. We talked about cosmic radiation. This radiation comes from the galaxy. This is from deep space. This is not from the sun. This is radiation from deep space. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to deal with that as we go as humans into outer space to the other planets. And Joe, uh, we're just really happy to have you be a part of this project and um, have your name on this cup that we can uh, hopefully we'll, we'll transfer from year to year as uh, teams win this challenge and continue to push the envelope on science and engineering uh, to advance our society and our country and humanity. Well, I'm delighted to be a part of it, Jason. So, um, Colonel Joe, one, one, one more question, question before we, we start to wrap up here. So, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the balloon aspects of it, but I want to talk about your aviation experience um, because you did so much for aviation as well. So what, what um, airplane, what, what kind of airplanes are you most notable for? What, what was your favorite airplane to fly? Well, I flew 93 different airplanes. As, okay, as so a it's a big CIA question then, okay. Control. Uh, and uh, I loved all the airplanes. One of them was a challenge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you can fly a Piper Cub, you can fly an F-15. Uh, an airplane is an airplane. It has a stick, it has a yoke, it has an engine, it has propulsion. And uh, it, it, aviation is, is, was a wonderful career. I, I loved my career in the, in the United States Air Force. I spent 29 years in the Air Force. And then when I got out, I stayed in aviation uh, uh, and air, flying airplanes and balloons uh, up until today. Um, so it was a wonderful career for me, and I was delighted to be a part of it. But uh, I, I'm concerned about the future and about the research that we still need to do. So there's, there's a lot of opportunities. Uh, the, 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 there's a, a, an abundance of opportunities for everyone to, to be working on for the, for the future in, in space and aviation. So, uh, but the lessons that I learned uh, apply for any vocation. You need to set goals and work hard for it. It makes no difference if you're a doctor or a welder, you, you wanna be the best that there is. You wanna produce something that, for yourself, for the community and for our country. And, and by the way, we're the luckiest people in the world to live in America. It's, it's the greatest country in the world it's ever been, and it will be forever. And we depend upon you, youth coming up today to maintain the wonderful country that we have here in America. Amen. So, um, so when you started, when you got into your career in the air force, were you already starting to fly before you got into the air force or did the air force kind of take you from zero to hero? Well, I, I, I'd flown uh, before I, uh, I got in the air force. I had about 10 hours in Piper Cubs and uh, float planes and, uh, but I, I learned how to fly really when I got in the Air Force. So how how so for those of our our youth you know in CAP or if somebody's not even in CAP they're watching this on YouTube or, or one of the other you know Facebook or whatever do how um, if they wanted to join the Air Force right or the Navy or get into aviation military aviation. Um, what what would be your recommendation? I know the goal setting, and maybe that is the answer. Maybe the answer is you set yourself as a goal to get into military aviation. Um, but once they set that goal, 
what would be some things that they would want to get themselves involved with to try to get themselves to move forward in that goal? Well, it, it's good to have a good math background and engineering uh, because uh, you're, you're talking about machinery and propulsion and uh, and so forth. So there's, there's certain things that, that you need to apply yourself to, and that is uh, engineering. And uh, STEM is a, is a great, great program that, that we have in our society today. Uh, it wasn't around when I was growing up. The CAP wasn't around when I was growing up. I would have been a member of it if, I, if it had been there. Uh, and STEM is, is a great, great program that, uh, that it's, it's going to prepare the future leaders for our society. And uh, I, I really believe in it. And I hope that this program will motivate people to get involved in science and education and, and mechanics. And uh, I, 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 that's one of the reasons why I'm so proud to be a part of this uh, CAP challenge, uh, because uh, hopefully it'll motivate people to be, make contributions for our society and for, for mankind. You know, one, one little plug I want to give for STEM here, um, because I know that there might be the person out there who thinks, you know, I want to get into, um, you know, aviation, whether it's commercial, whether it's military, even if it's, you know, just general aviation, um, and thinks to themselves, well, you know what though, I heard what Colonel Joe said, and I'm just not good at math. Right. Um, you know, they, they have doubts themselves and, and I want to just kind of make a quick comment to that person. Right. So don't confuse that you haven't learned the language of math yet with not being good at math, right? Um, you may just not have had the, the, the moment, the spark, you know, from the right teacher yet that really makes math make sense to you. Don't, don't think to yourself, you know what? I, I'm not that great in math um, and so I'll never be able to do this. Um, I honestly, even the people that aren't, that, you know, that think to themselves that they're not great at math, you'll find them in engineering school three years later and they're like the smartest person you'll ever meet in math. So math and engineering is a language. You just give yourself time to learn it. You may not know it day one. Um, you know, if, if, if somebody wanted to teach me French, I don't know about you, Colonel Joe, I, I wouldn't be able to speak French very good for a while. It would take me a while. So, um, so just because you can't, you don't think that you're good at it today, don't kick yourself down. These are things that you can still accomplish. Okay. Um, Joe, how about yourself? Was there anything else that you wanted to bring up or talk about before we wrapped up? No, I think you two covered everything. Hey, well, we try. <laughs> so, so, all right. Well, well, with that, you know, Colonel Joe, thank you so much for being an ambassador for this program. And thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, I know that, uh, like I said, there are very few people in the world that are considered really considered the giants uh, of an industry. And you are a giant. When we talk about, I mentioned it earlier, but when we talk about standing on the shoulders of others to help us move forward, um, the space program, you know, Gemini, Mercury, Apollo, um, the space shuttle, you know, even like you had mentioned, you know, the ejection seats today, the ejection systems of today, still using, um, you know, 60 years later, are still using technology that were designed off the shoulders of the research that you and your teams did um, all that time ago. So uh, it, it was really an honor to be able to speak to you today. And I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, meeting you in person sometime. Uh, maybe maybe underneath that, the F4 Phantom, underneath uh, the actual Joe Kinninger Cup um, uh, Park over in Orlando. Would love to meet you there. Uh, not when it's a 110 degrees in high humidity though. Let's do that like in the fall <laughs> when it's cooler. <laughs>
So on the event day, uh, everyone who's you know watching this right now, we're going to send links out, and you can actually track this mission live. Uh, Captain Bob here is going to be uh, hosting probably a YouTube live event. We'll have to figure out the platform or the platforms. And during the mission, you know, we have the students will send their capsules in. We're going to launch uh, multiple balloons on the day. And with the link on your browser, you can actually follow along as this balloon goes to the edge of space. And, you know, this thing doesn't just go a few miles. This is going to go vertically 20 miles to over 100,000 feet is our hope. And it could horizontally travel 50, 100 miles away from the launch point. Uh, we are going to be launching uh, north of Indianapolis, uh, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and it's going to be headed east uh, to, to Ohio, uh, kind of where Joe is, you know, did a lot of his work outside Dayton. Uh, it's going to land north of Dayton somewhere. And so during this event, uh, you guys can follow along. We're going to have the live chat going, and you can be a part of this whole event. Uh, we're going to have some people down with Joe in uh, Florida. And he's going to help provide some of the commentary and explaining some of the things uh, that we're seeing um, during the mission. It's just going to be a great experience for everybody to participate in. Yeah. And the other thing too, Jason and Colonel Joe, that I think is really going to be exciting about this is that uh, in Civil Air Patrol, we obviously have a lot of assets, right? We have the largest number of single engine uh, aircraft in the world. Uh, we partner with the United States Air Force. We have ground crews. We have uh, UAS crews. So for those of you that don't know what US, UAS is, that's basically you know, your drones. Um, and we have all of these different teams that work together in emergency services and operations and cadet programs. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to plus this up, Colonel Joe, and we're going to look to do this even, you know, we, we could send out a balloon and we could have somebody get an Uber and go drive over and pick it up. But we're looking to make this thing uh, off the top of the earth. So we're going to look to have a mission base. And uh, like Jason had mentioned, we're going to be live streaming. And so what would be really cool is um, whether you're in CAP or even if you're not in CAP, if this is just something that excites you, you know, come along with us, um, you know, come, we're going to on my channel here, uh, there'll be another video that we'll be publishing when we get closer, probably the end of August, I think is when we're looking at the launches. Obviously, since we're going to be sending a balloon up into the air, a lot of it will have to depend on the air itself, how fast it's moving, the heat, the jet stream, things along those natures. Um, so the exact date we won't know quite yet, but it'll probably be towards the end of August. Um, but we would love to have your feedback. If you are somebody who is not in civil air patrol and you know you're watching this and you're 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 12 to 18 and you're thinking to yourself you know this sounds really exciting i want to be part of this kind of stuff i would like you to go visit gocivilairpatrol.com or if you'd like if you have a question feel free to leave that comment down in the comment section down below um this is a little baby youtube channel and so i do get a chance to look at and respond to all the comments that are down below and so i would love to have you ask a question and would love to have you you know maybe visit a civil air patrol squadron because maybe you uh maybe you get in just in enough time to get part of this in august or if we're doing this again next year maybe you can be part of the project next year as colonel joe had mentioned one of the the, the most important things i heard heard out of Colonel Joe's uh, talk with us today was Colonel Joe raised his hand. That was the biggest thing that I heard today. Um, you know, Colonel Joe put himself in a position where they asked for volunteers 
And it took the work and the hard effort to get to that point to be asked to volunteer. And then Colonel Joe, when they asked for volunteers, Colonel Joe raised his hand. Um, and, and so, you know, if you join Civil Air Patrol, you're putting yourself in a position where you can grow, you can be around people that are interested in these types of activities. And then when the time comes for you, you'll be in the right place, the right time, you can raise your hand and then you can volunteer. So um, with that, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, Colonel Joe, anything else from you, sir? Joe, this is off the record, uh, you know, kind of a thing, but uh, I was telling Bob about the, the leaflet drop that you had to do for your barnstorming days where the FAA had to approve that you could drop it. Could you tell us about that story? Why does it have to be off the records? <laughs> I'm so recording. Well, well, right. back, back in the thirties, the barnstormers went flew around our country and they would let the, the public know that they were there, the area by buzzing the town and people would be awakened by this airplane and they'd go out and, and take flights in the, in the barnstormers. Well, today you can't fly low over the town. So we were barnstorming in a 1929 airplane all over the United States. And uh, we flew almost 10,000 passengers in that airplane in nine years. Wow. Uh, but we went uh, one time, uh, we were going to uh, a place that was uh, Roscoe Turner's uh, birthplace, uh, Corinth, Mississippi. And uh, when he used to buzz the towns, let them know when he was barnstorming. So the uh, promoter said, uh, you know, when, when Roscoe would come to town, he would drop leaflets over Corinth and say when he's going to be given rides. He said, could you drop some leaflets over Corinth? So I said, well, let me check with the FAA because uh, they're very uh, concerned about anything coming from the air. So I checked with the FAA and they said, well, you, after a couple of months, they said, well, yes, we possibly could approve that. So, uh, they sent me a notice that when you get to Corinth, uh, we'll come down there and, and, and examine your operation. So when I landed Corinth, I called the FAA. The next day, they showed up and they said, well, we want you to demonstrate that you can hit a target with, with your leaflets. So I said, well, okay. So uh, I had my wife go out in the middle of the airfield and I went up about 500 feet and I dropped a leaflet and she caught it. <laughs> she on the ground. She caught the leaf that I dropped from 500 feet. It was the How biggest trip I've ever been. Was she a really good How runner? How fast was your airplane? The FAA was totally impressed that I could hit a target. So after, after that, I took off in the airplane, and I had a man, a, a, a civil engineer, who knew where all the schools were. And there were 30 schools around Corinth, Mississippi. And I went over each school and dropped leaflets to the kids in the school, telling them when I was going to be given rides at Corinth Airfield. So it, it was a fun event. And the FAA was duly impressed that I could uh, drop the leaflet and, and hit the target. <laughs> it, was, it was a miracle. My wife caught the, the, <laughs> the leaflet that I dropped. Oh, that's, awesome. that's awesome. That's just a, 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 a aviator story. That's a good uh, one. I love it. Your stories are the very best, I'll tell you. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> I guess when I come down, Joe, I'm going to have to make sure Bob and Jason come too so they can sit around the fire and listen to some aviator stories from you all night long, right? Absolutely. Well, what I want to do is I want to go flying with Joe, and I want J Joe to help me uh, you know, fly and drop a pamphlet and see if you can catch it, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Joe's got some good friends there with him. Both Barbara and Pat are pilots. I don't know, Michael, if you are or not, but but Pat is has been an aerobatic pilot and works with air shows and coordinates air shows and stuff. So oh, cool. they've got some good airplanes there to fly. Uh, whether you go up with Joe or Pat, you know, <laughs> there's opportunities well, you, down there with a Bob, and a cub. Bob, uh, hopefully your spelling is up to snuff because Joe could teach you some skywriting. Uh, <laughs> he, he, you know, I saw some of his work on that. It was incredible. Pat, can you give us an extra 300 with uh, some smoke in it for us? Can we, could Joe and me will go up. <laughs> Pat, are you hearing that? <laughs> I'm is hearing he, Susan he, saying you could do that. <laughs> is he hearing Barbara? He's hearing it. And he says, Patty Wagstaff could take care of that. All right, well, <laughs> oh, yeah. Hopefully I'll be uh, speaking of Patty Wag. Does, does Pat know Patty Wagstaff? Oh yes. Yeah? They're, they're very good friends. Oh, very good. Oh, hey Barbara, Bob yeah. is coming. Bob is the person who's coming to Oshkosh and uh, we're that, you know, I got in the room that I told you about yesterday yeah. and he's wanting to interview different people. So, you know, if he's at the right place at the right time, That's he can right. interview the right people there. Can't he? He absolutely can. <laughs> well, I, would, I look forward to hearing how I can make that happen better. So um, awesome. All right. Well, Colonel Joe, I don't want to keep you, you know, longer than we need to. So thank you so much for all your time today. You're welcome. It was nice talking with you. Hey, so that was our time with Jason and Colonel Joe today. Really happy to uh, get a chance to talk with both of them. You know, Colonel Joe is a national treasure. Um, that gets thrown around a lot sometimes, but in this case, it's tr it is really true. It's the first human being to see the curvature of the earth. Um, really quite amazing. So if you're in Civil Air Patrol and you're taking part of this program, uh, you are going to be getting some additional information and you'll be getting packages uh, for your programs that you put together, your science experiments. If you're not part of Civil Air Patrol, uh, or if you're part of Civil Air Patrol and you haven't signed up for this program, feel free to follow along with us. Um, uh, I'll be creating probably another video or two here on this channel specifically for this. Um, additional information will be coming out here. Um, and then if you're in Civil Air Patrol and you're part of this program, you'll be seeing more information from, um, from national headquarters on this program. And with that, I want to say thank you very much to everybody. Again, if you are interested in learning more about Civil Air Patrol, if these are the kinds of things that you would like to do, um, we have a big program, a big aerospace program here at Civil Air Patrol. You can find out more about us at GoCivilAirPatrol.com. I hope you all had a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everyone.